Good yesterday, you questioned what drug free sport tests for, and Alicia Baumgartner's statements with Matchroom Boxing. Can you respond to that? Yeah, um, I heard, saw his comments, most run true. Um, I don't think he knows what he's talking about. Some of the substances he was talking about are actually just tested by blood. She was tested for those via bloods, also via urine and other tests. It's a completely random protocol. Drug-free sport test, WADA list, and VADA test different to UCAD, etc. It's exactly the same um, laboratory that VADA uses. Like said, it's exactly the same chain of command. They also test for the NFL, the NBA, uh, LPGA, uh, NASCAR, NCAA. They're a huge um, and yeah, I just think sometimes, you know, I don't mean to be talked down to small hall promoters, but at the same time, they shouldn't really talk on stuff they don't really understand. Hi, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where it looks like Matthew might have snitched on Alicia Baumgartner because she was planning to leave. I mean, that's, that's cold. That's so cold after all she's done for, for Matchroom and the zone to, to turn state's evidence on her and just be like, yeah, you know, we're going to tell the world you cheated. You know, no confidentiality, no respect, no consideration. But that's the sport we sign up to, I guess. But this time we're not going to talk about Alicia Baumgarten. There's a whole episode on that if you... Just want to scroll down a little bit, you'll find it. I want to talk about where we're at in boxing, where we are as boxing fans. It's the pickings are slim. I know as much as we like to criticize Joshua, we criticize Fury, and we criticize Dillian White, we criticize Derek Chisora, we criticize Billy Joe Saunders, we criticize Josh Taylor, we criticize Eubank Jr., we criticize this person, we criticize that person. What's coming after is looking like it may not be as good. We may look back on that period from 2013 to like 2019 as, as a golden period for British boxing, when British boxing was an international force. By the way, you'll have to bear with me if there's any sound interference. Um, there's a concert not far from me. I can literally hear, I don't know if it's Boy Genius, Moona, I don't know any of these groups, I'm old, but yeah, just loads of young people going there, looking a bit, um, not not as drippy as you'd expect young people to be in 2023, but that's a, look, that's a digression. We had two shows on Friday, well, and Saturday, right? So Matchroom went on Saturday, Frank went on Friday. And what that was meant to be was the future, right? We're showing you what you're going to be cheering on in 12 to 18 months' time. That's what the rhetoric was going into it. Um, both were headlined by guys that each promoter was betting the farm on. Frank was betting the farm on Dennis McCann. Eddie's betting the farm on um, Galal Yafai. Okay, yeah, it has to be Galal Yafai. And he's expecting Galal Yafai to cause havoc in that kind of 115 to 118 space where it seems the zone of have kind of stuck their flag. And so we, you've got these two shows to have a look at. And beneath that, you had guys on the Frank side like Nathaniel Collins, Ryan Garner, um, is it Umar Khan, uh, Tunde Jai's guy. So you've got a load of guys who are bubbling through. On the matchroom side, you had 
Jordan Flynn versus Kane Baker. You had Solly Dakers against Chris Thompson. So these are guys that you're like, I'm hoping you build them up. Like, this can't just be another transactional show. Or maybe it is for some holiday money. But you leave those two shows going, we're in a bad, bad place. Boxing needs people like Joshua and Fury. It needs those sorts of characters because this lot coming through, this lot coming through, not up to the standard. They're, they're not interesting outside the ring and they're not interesting inside the ring. So if we just come back to Frank's card and just zero in, it was, it was an interesting card, right? Because there were seven fights and it kind of split. It's a three, four split. Like top three guys were average of about 14, 15 bouts, right? So that's that should be a British or Commonwealth champion and should be pushing to solidify yourself as a credible pro and a credible prospect, right? We sh by, by fight 14 or 15, we should know what level you're at, right? Second half of the card is kind of people seven fights and below. So I think Raven Chapman's got seven. I think Umar Carl's on about six or seven. Khalid Ali was on about six or seven. And then you had Joel Kodua, who was, he's more novice than the rest of them. So it's a, it's a next-gen-ish sort of card, right? But this is that that fork in the road sort of card where we find out who's who. Um, so if you look at the more experienced guys on that Frank show, Nathaniel Collins, one punch, did what he was supposed to do. I thought, I thought what he did was good. I, actually, because it was really one punch in anger, so you can't really delve too deep into what Nathaniel Collins did. But it was one of those classic moments where both fighters are thinking of doing the same thing, but one got there quicker. And when you do that, when both guys go to lead off on a hook and leave themselves exposed, it's always going to be, be about who gets there first. In a, in a perverse sort of way, it's, more, it's also like the Sergio Martinez versus Paul Williams knockout, where they were thinking the same thing at the same time, but Sergio Martinez with the shorter arms got there quicker. So... I thought what Nathaniel Collins did was really, really good. I think those sorts of knockouts are good, but they almost don't tell us anything because you may have caught him cold. Getting wins like that, the way Nathaniel Collins did against, I think it's Raza Hamza. Um, what does that really tell us? Because like his opponent had lost to James Beach Jr., who lost easily to Dennis McCann, right? So... You're not looking at what I'd call um, a stern test. That's not a test for Nathaniel Collins. It, that knockout, like I said, was good for TV. Right? That's what you want. If you're a TNT sport, you're watching that going, yeah, fans will go home happy with that. Because it's a, it's a highlight real moment. It's incredible. But what are you going to learn from that? What has he done that's going to convince us that actually I can see him jumping in with uh, some of the caliber of a Probably, I would have said Reese Bellotti back then, but I think Reese has moved up. Um, the kid that Caldwell trained, can't even remember his name, you know, got like the longest pro career without really rising up. Um, so all of those guys around 126, you can't even talk about guys like Lee Wood or Michael Conlon yet. He's not at that level, but it's like you've had a fair few fights. Like, we should know whether you're on that track or not, but we don't because boxers keep talking about got to stay busy. No, you got to develop. Yeah, it's the difference. You've got to develop. Yeah, so the Nathaniel Collins one doesn't tell me much. 
I'm still not sure what his ceiling is because what's he British and Commonwealth now at featherweight, which is good. Hundred percent. That's hundred percent. That's really good. But who are you going to put him in with? That's the question. Who who are you going to? Don't know. I don't think he's a world champion in waiting. Like uh, guys like Isaac Dogbo would crush him at that world level. Um, one of the one of the Gary Russells would probably handle that too. So we didn't learn anything from that. But for his fans, great performance, great win for his family. Absolutely buzzing for them. For him personally, I'm happy for him too. But as a fan. I have no clue where Nathaniel Collins will end up. Now, the picture's completely different for Ryan Garner. Um, enjoyed watching Ryan Garner fight. Um, fought Spanish guy. Is it like Juan Jesus Antunes? God, if I've got that right, pat me on the back. I liked what I saw with Ryan Garner. Like, I, I can't tell you what level he is because the Spanish guy looked petrified once he took a few shots. But Ryan Garner, upside combination puncher will throw three and four punches and they seem pretty hard i think was kids out of southampton so not generally known as a a hotbed for football uh boxing sorry so you know we don't get to see him a lot because he's not part of the london circuit and this this feeds into this thing i keep saying we've got to move these guys around the country so everyone gets to see them now ryan garner's been seen in london maybe you move him to telford let him get seen in telford but I enjoyed what he did because he beat the fight out of Antunes. And those sorts of performances, they bode well. But if you've listened to the pod for long enough, if you've listened to me for long enough, you understand that the main question we always ask is, what's he going to do when that sort of thing comes back at him? Can he bang his gloves together and have a good old-fashioned ding-dong? But Ghana has a style where I'm like, I'd watch him again. I'd watch him again. But I want to see him in with, with guys who tell us where he is. Someone like a Kesh Ashfak makes sense to me. Um, I don't know where he is against a guy like Liam Dillon. On that performance, he'd give Liam Dillon trouble. But Liam Dillon's a lot tougher than Antunes was. He's definitely not ready for those guys like Kikachi and all that. Like He's got to build himself up. But why not put Ryan Garner in with a Kesh Ashfak? Um, put him with a Michael Gomez Jr.? Don't know what he's doing currently, but let's see him in amongst his peers. And then we can start to get behind him. You know, once you get to, like I said, 13, 14, 15 fights in, can't really be calling you next gen at that point. You know, so good luck to Ghana. I mean, he's winning these international belts now. Maybe put him in with some British guys and let's, let's see how good he is. But... You know, sometimes I'm known to be negative about people, but Ryan Garner, he gets a tick in the box because he did what he was supposed to do. So I'm just going to bucket up the rest of the card. Um, just be really simple. I think Raven Chapman's really talented. I don't know if she's going to fulfill her potential. It doesn't look that way. Um, making far too many mistakes for someone who, who has been GB. So she's been at the elite level. She understands about what those standards are. And she should be performing at a higher level as far as I'm concerned, um, you know, with the women's game, seven fights is a long time, right? Seven fights is a long time. There are people that fought for world titles and less. So we can't talk about she needs time to develop. It's, it's wide open at this point. Um, I think she's in Serrano's division. Don't think she's ready for that yet, but she should be aiming for that. And on Friday's performance, it was an okay performance. But considering what people have said about Raven Chapman on the way up, 
we're expecting spectacular, not necessarily good. And that's not a shot to her, by the way. I think she's probably doing what she's been taught. But maybe she needs to learn something different. I don't imagine High Wycombe's a hotbed for women's boxing or boxing of any description, if I'm being fair. But to Savazuma Khan, um, Joel Kodua, and I can't even remember the other kid's name, Khalid Ali. Um, I mean, what, when the referee is telling you who won, you, you know you're still on your way up. But I think Umar Khan's one of Tunde's guys. So it'll be interesting to see how he develops. Because he he needs to show that he's not a, a one-trick pony. He needs to show that his methods will work with people who are not called Anthony Yard. I believe they do, but he just has to find the right case studies. So I wish, look, I wish all those guys the best of luck. I'm just saying that that's not the standard where I'm like, wow, British boxers in good hands. It's not like you're seeing a Jared Big Baby Anderson, a Keyshawn Davis, a Troy Isley. It's not like you're seeing a, an Andy Cruz type character here. Not even like a, like a Yelusinov level talent. Where despite their shortcomings, you're like, yeah, yeah, British boxing's in good hands. I look at, I look at what we saw at your call on Friday and I go, we don't have it. And there's a number of reasons why, um, we'll touch on them after we talk about all these cards, but there are a number of reasons why we're, we're in the mud. And we are in the mud. Be absolutely clear about this, we're in the mud. That brings me to the main event. And... I don't think Dennis McCann is that guy. I like him. The Haribo stuff is good. The suits, I like the suits. Um, I like all the, the stuff he does, you know, seems a good family man and all that sort of stuff. You know, he, all the right image, looks good, looks the part. But I've always suspected he hasn't got that, that toughness. Not mental toughness, because he dogged it out. He hasn't got that physical constitution. And when it comes to Frank Warren, I always go back to people like Georgie Collins, right? And I always look at people and I go, would that version of Dennis McCann jump in with his equivalent of a Kirkland Lang? Maybe Baluta was his equivalent of a Kirkland Lang. Just a hard man who's going to give it and keep giving it until you dominate him or he dominates you. And that's what you ended up seeing, right? Is that whole, who's really dominating here? And it was Baluta. In the beginning, and McCann always looks good in the beginning because he's a box of tricks. Like he's, he's good when people haven't figured him out. Then after a while, people figure him out and he doesn't switch. So he goes from being this really good technical boxer initially and then he just tries to dog it out with people instead of bringing new tricks. So... You, know, you may start off targeting the body in the first couple of rounds, then you want to target the head, then you might want to you know, focus on pushing him back on the ropes, then you might want to focus on combination punching, then you might want to go, actually, do you know what, let me conserve some energy, pick him off with the jab. All of these things you'd like to do, right? But to do those, there's a certain amount of steel you need, especially against guys like Baluta, because when you saw those two men in the ring, Baluta didn't, he looked like a big super bantamweight. He looked solid. Dennis looked quite watery at the weight. I don't imagine he struggled to make that weight. Like, it wouldn't have taken much out of him to make that weight. And maybe he's in the wrong weight class, but he wasn't putting a dent in Baluta. And I was watching it, and round after round, Baluta was just getting strong. Yes, he's a bit reckless with the head, 
but in the ring, either the referee polices or you police it. There are ways that Dennis could have handled that. Yeah, let's not talk about them here. But, you know, there are ways you can control your opponent's head and make sure that he doesn't come in recklessly again. But he hasn't learnt those things. So if you remember prior to this, Liam Davis and Dennis McCann were on a collision course at some point. Can't say how, can't say when. But they were, they were talking about each other and that looked like a fight that could be made. And then you go back and you look at how Liam Davis dealt with Baluta. And you realise the difference is just that hardness. Liam Davis clearly has more in his shots than McCann did because when he was hitting Baluta, Baluta had to stop. When Dennis was doing it, he didn't have to. And where Liam Davis was also clever was, as soon as he saw Baluta triggering off, he just got low. So all those shots would miss. Much like McCann made a miss. And, you know, you see Baluta pirouetting, falling over. It's, it's a very crude and clumsy style. But if you, if you stay there, then you're going to get hit. So I just felt, I'd summarise McCann like this. He stays low at the wrong times and he stays upright at the wrong times. If he could reverse that around, he'd be far more effective. He also has to understand if he hasn't got that, that muscle density and raw power, he's going to have to rely more on mechanics. His punches, he doesn't punch properly yet. Like not, not to what I would call proper punching. No. But, and he's got away with that because he's talented. But there have been a few times where the fights have been closer than they should have been. And bear in mind, we're still not talking about European and European level plus. We're not. We're not talking about, you know, you know, we can't even say how far away is he from a Stephen Fulton, how far away is Dennis McCann from an Inoue. Miles. And a large part of me wonders, is he going to have a Frankie Gavin career or a Billy Joe Saunders career? And I'm not even saying that they're amazing careers, but they're vastly different careers. Billy was able to kind of hang in there with his talent and push through. And I don't think Frankie was able to do that. And I would say it's a discipline thing, but you know, those two were, were notorious together. And that's going to be the real question for Dennis McCann. After what happened with Baluta, and remember, like it's not like Baluta was lucky to get a majority draw. Dennis was lucky to get a majority draw. So he's got to go back and he's got to look Ed and Al dead in the eye and go, Eddie Lamb, Al Smith, what do I need to do to get better? Don't ask your mates, don't ask your uncle, ask your trainers what you need to do to get better and commit to that. He's definitely going to have to start lifting something. I don't care when, how, why. Go and train with Sam Noakes. <laughs> go and get that strength. He's also going to have to revisit the blueprint he's fought the same way since he was young and this is a downside of turning pro without boxing as a senior amateur because a lot of these shocks and these surprises he could have had as an amateur he could have done this in the shadows he should have been sparring Baluta as an as an amateur and figuring it all out then because this all looks like a big shock to his system because he's been the golden boy for so long that he's never had to overcome and Belusa showed up and said, now you're going to have to overcome. And I don't think he was able to. And, you know, remember, Belusa, he, he's definitely the upsetter. And he did the same with Andrew Kane. If you're not ready for that kind of raw toughness and aggression, you know, a guy who knows he's the underdog, but is not prepared to roll over. If you're not prepared for that, boxing's a hard game. 
And so Dennis McCann's at that, that T-junction. He can go left and have a Frankie Gavin career. He can go right and have a Tyson Fury career. But he has to make that choice. I think he's with the right people in Ed and Al. I'm slightly biased, obviously. But I don't think anyone's going to do any better with him. So the choice is his. But that Friday show, I don't think there's a world champion on that. I just don't believe there's a single world champion on that show. I want to be wrong. I really do. I just don't believe there is. Now, now I think Eddie Hearn's got the same problem. I think Eddie and Frank have got the same problem. I just feel they're swimming in really shallow waters when it comes to picking British prospects. Um, I think the, the raw materials are there, were there, will be there. I just don't think the refining and finishing is quite where it needs to be. Now, if you compare Ed, Eddie's show with Frank's show, I think Eddie's show was a level above, just putting it out there. Um, I think more recognisable names, um, better better venue, better production quality. Uh, you know, the zone show up, commentary's not great, obviously. Like, they, they've got the wrong people commentating, but we've known that for a while. But if you look at that show and where that leaves us in terms of British boxing and things to get excited by, nowhere, right? Absolutely nowhere. Um, Cyrus Pattinson gets floored. And Cyrus Pattinson, not an amazing amateur, but a good amateur. Um, one of the products of that Berkeley machine from like the, the 2010s that was just churning out talent after talent. But you just got stopped by someone I don't even know about. I can't even be bothered to box wreck. I think Connor Walker, pretending like I didn't know. Um, you got stopped by Connor Walker. You're 29 years old and your career is kind of stalled. You can't rematch Connor Walker because he just stopped you. Are you going to get much better physically? I'm not so sure. Boxing-wise, I'm not so sure. And, you know, there were discussions around was the corner work the right thing to do? I'd probably have pulled Pattinson out when they realized he was in way over his head. But, you know, sometimes as a trainer, you'll, you, you've got to make a different call. You've got to make a call you can live with. As a fan watching, I can say whatever I want. But I think it's Graham Rutherford who was in his corner. Graham's a good guy. met him a few times. Graham's got to make a decision he can live with because he will always be in Cyrus's life. So if he had pulled him out early, would that have changed that relationship? It's, it's tricky at the coalface. So I've got a bit of sympathy, but ultimately he was in over his head. The pro game ain't for him. And sometimes you've got to be honest and go, this thing ain't for me. Like Scarface said, she not for you, Manolo. <laughs> she not for you, man. So now I get to the point where I have a conversation where deep down I'm conflicted. So we've got to talk about Jordan Flynn versus Kane Baker. Um, if you listen to this often enough, you know that the Flynns are people I've known growing up. So I've known Jordan's older brother, uh, Flynny One, as we'll call him. Don't want to be put his government out there. But Flynny One I've known because we are the same generation. We were friends. Like We all used to drink together, watch football, play football together. We've done all of that. Flinny too, his other brother, who was a really good boxer, by the way, really, really good, maybe probably would have had the best career out of the three of them. So he's, he's best friends with my friend's younger brother. So we all know each other. 
But because Jordan is so much younger than everyone else, I never got to see Jordan because I'd left by then. I'd gone off and done adult things, working and stuff like that, traveling and whatnot. I'd gone and done that. So I've actually never, apart from when Jordan was a little kid, I've never spent time with him. And it's weird, right? Because people see us both involved in boxing. We've never crossed swords. Um, I'd watch him at, where was he? Was it Hodston with guys like Jack Brooker? There was a nice little circle there from that kind of, Hodston, Finchley, Islington era, where you had guys like Mason Smith, uh, Mo Garib, beautiful little circle of people who all kind of worked together. And, and Jordan was part of that circle. But I, I always wondered with him, are you one of those guys who will be a really good amateur and then when it gets to the pro game, it's too physical? My instincts were always telling me that it would be too physical. And that's not to say he's a coward, that's not to say he's soft, but some people, whether it's bones, density, joint size, ligament size, some people, it's just too physical. And if you look at Kane Baker, Kane Baker came all the way down from wherever he weighed, 16 stone or whatever it is, all the way down to box at the weight he is now. Right, so, so you know Kane Baker physically is a bigger man than the scales would suggest. So these are going to be hard fights for Jordan. He's fought him twice. He beat him on points the first time, but that was close. And then this time, it ends in a draw. Um, he puts Baker down. I still think that was a clash of heads. It wasn't a headbutt, but it was definitely a clash of heads because you can see Baker's head go in. And as it goes in, you're like, that's got to hurt. And then as he pulls back, a shot goes in and he goes down. But I think it was the, the clash of heads that affected him initially. And so I look at that and I go, um, other guys have kind of run through Kane Baker, right? Yusuf Kamari handled him with ease. Conor Ben handled him with ease. Um, Kane Baker is that kind of guy who will win an English title, right? Might win a Commonwealth in a good year. So then it depends what Jordan Flynn wants to do. I think Jordan Flynn's the sort of guy who could jump on a Love Island just do whatever he wanted. He could flip over and do that sort of misfits thing. He could do the pro thing and have a solid career as well. And this is why I'm torn because if, if he wasn't a Flynn, I'd probably be a bit stronger. But because I know the family and I know the faith they have in him, my attitude is like, we'll give him one more fight. Yeah, one more fight to see if Jordan Flynn's got the goods. Throw him in with a Reese Bellotti and let's see what happens. Or rematch Yusuf Kamari. Why not? Um, you know, Yusuf is always good entertainment and that'll be a good yardstick. I, I think Yusuf might have too much for him because Yusuf's got that toughness, that physical constitution. You, Yusuf has that in spades. But I wouldn't say to Jordan, give it up. You know, because I don't think he needs to. I don't believe he'll win a world championship, but he can have a good career regardless. And like I said, that's a tough thing for me to broadcast because of obviously my ties to the family. So let's come on to, to Solly Dakers. Actually, one of my favorite super heavies in the amateurs. Thought he was a good guy, funny guy, um, bit of a character, you know, quite rightly ended up on GB. A lot, lot of upside to him. But he went the distance with Chris Thompson. Where the hell they found Chris Thompson, I have no idea. That is an impressive piece of matchmaking because if you've ever looked at Chris Thompson's box rec, he's not even area level. I will say this, Chris Thompson is not area level. 
he, wow. Whoever managed to dig him out and go, yeah, that would be good. I think if he'd been orthodox, he might have got stopped. Being a southpaw might have been his, his salvation. But talk about who found him. <laughs> who found him? His record's terrible. His record's terrible when John, John Terry looking motherfucker. <laughs> oh my God. Credit to Tom Dallas and his matchmaking, man. He deserves a massive pat on the back for that because, oh my God, what a name to dig up. Um, Solly Dakers is also in that awkward space. What'd you do with him? That's what I know. What'd you do with him? Um, he's probably not ready for guys like Fabio Wardley, but he'd be ready for Jamie Shakiva, Jamie TKV. That fight could happen. My worry with a lot of these young heavyweights coming through is how slow they are and how few punches they throw for men who are quite young. Like, Solly's only about 29. He's, he's still young. But the punch output, the punch velocity, all that stuff isn't where it needs to be. So I'm like, what were you doing in GB? What were they teaching you? I thought they had these experts. I thought everyone at GB was an expert. I thought they had these cameras everywhere and they were measuring these little details and it was all about analysis and data and this is how we're going to dominate international amateur boxing. Uh, no. Because I look at it and go, where do you put Solly next? Um, Adelaide? Probably not because you want that to be a little bit bigger. Johnny Fisher, no, because Eddie doesn't tend to do that. And also, I think all the stuff that, that Solly does wrong, Johnny Fisher does right. When Johnny Fisher throws a shot, my God, he throws it, right? We can complain about it as much as we want, but he throws it. And that could be problematic. So then you're like, what other heavyweights? And Jack Massey's still masquerading as a heavyweight. Why not? Um, who else is still around? Would you go in with Dave Allen? No, because like Dave Allen's got ring smarts. There's a lot of stuff you can say about Dave and his lifestyle and whether he's in shape or not, but Dave's got ring smarts. Dave knows how to get through rounds. Dave knows how to, to tough it out. Dave knows what, what character is. Now, there's no question about that. I think you just whack him in, stay busy, fight someone like a Frank Ignatius. Why not? Um, I haven't seen Cash Alley for a while, so I don't know what he's up to, but he needs a fight where we can go, right, you're either going to be a guy that wins a fair few British titles or, you know I mean, you may get to world level. And we don't know yet. Would like to see a lot of these heavyweights get more knockouts. I don't, don't want to hear nonsense about I've got some rounds in the bank or I'm working on things. Heavyweights don't get that luxury. Heavyweights take heads off. But upsides, really good debut from Ibrahim Suleiman. Um, a lot's being said about him. Really, really good amateur, actually. Um, hopefully, he's got that physical constitution that will help him turn over. Um, Aaron Bowen, same thing. I think Aaron Bowen's class, kind of unlucky with some decisions in his amateur career, but I think he's class two. And then the main event took about three seconds. So I'll summarize it and go, get out your five smash, Tommy Frank. And here's where you got to slap Porky on the back and go, well done, mate. Porky's been saying it from day one. Tommy Frank is not who we've been led to believe he is. And that's not a bad thing. Like, Tommy Frank's a lovely guy. Dedicated. Guy that does all his running, all of his training. But there's just levels to boxing. And Galalia is the third of three brothers who were good. Two brothers that were Olympians. 
Were all three brothers Olympians? They might have all been Olympians, actually. Let me take that back. They might have all been Olympians. And they've all been pros. And they're all small guys. So Galal's almost like the, the distillation of everything the Yafai family were working towards. What chance did Tommy have? Like, Galal's instincts would just be incredible. And that's why I'm quite excited by Galal. Because you start to look at who he could jump in with. And yeah, eventually you put him in with guys like Charlie Edwards, Sonny Edwards. And then obviously the, the Bam Rodriguez's, the Estradas, the Chocolatitos. Why not? Why wouldn't you put him in there? I don't, I don't, I don't get this natural conservatism we have. You know, I, I'm a fan of Galal. He's an Olympic gold medalist. I don't think we make enough of that. Um, I think a lot of these guys in the Midlands are missing a massive trick. My advice to all of these guys, and I include Ben Whitaker in that list, find someone like a Jordan Foster and say, Jordan, can you just give me a, a plan on a page, please? Give me... Give me eight things I can do in my career to raise my profile, create leverage so that when people do want to engage with me, I've got that collateral that says, look, I've been doing my own work. So you can plug into my movement. I'd love to see that, you know, because we don't have a, a thriving Midlands scene. We kind of pay lip service to it, don't we? Frank does shows in Telford. Eddie does shows in Birmingham. We're going to end up doing shows in Wolverhampton at some point. Sky will do that. But we don't have a concerted Midlands effort where they're making noise. But I think it's a wider problem um, across boxing, which probably warrants discussion, actually. So the real question here is, how are we so terrible? You can't blame Eddie for this. So when we say that Eddie's putting on garbage shows, Eddie's looking going, this is the only talent that's available. When we look at Frank and go, these shows aren't good enough. This is the only talent that's available. When we look at Ben Shalom, this is the only talent that's available. Right? This is it. Like I'm, I'll say this again. The gap in talent between guys like Brad Bethel and guys like Sam Antwi is negligible. It's just experience on the big stage. That's the only difference. Those kids like Brad Bethel, Brad Goldsmith, uh, hey, let's shout out Keenan Wainwright, all these guys, right? It's just exposure to the big picture. Like, talent-wise, these guys could jump in a ring behind closed doors and you wouldn't know who was televised and who wasn't, right? You wouldn't. And so Hearn's looking around going, there are no stars, there's nothing, there's no pizzazz. I'm not excited by anyone. And I can see why. That's why we've got guys like Conor Ben. That's why we've got guys like... Campbell Hat, and that's why we've got guys like Jake Paul, Logan Paul, KSI, and all the other YouTubers. That's why Salt Pappy is one of the most popular boxers in this country right now, because our boxers lack personality, and they lack personality because these guys are lazy as shit. That's all there is to it. Our boxers are lazy as shit. Now, let's break up this discussion into two areas, right? Why do they look so bad in the ring? Why do they get beaten up by people who they're to run over in the amateurs? Okay. Let's start with that. So at the base of this pyramid of doom is a very uncomfortable truth that people have to embrace. If you took every amateur coach in London and graded them, 80% will be C and below. Yeah? That just, this is what I know really well. The coaching standard in London isn't all that. You look at the people doing coaching courses and you're like, 
that's cool. We, we love the fact that you want to be involved, but what are you basing this on? And they don't know. I mean, some of these guys are PTs who want to jump in and, you know, they don't even want to coach boxing. They just want that accreditation. I have no problem with them. If you just want to say you're an England boxing coach and you go and do your PT clients and make a stack of money, that's cool. If our job is to build a strong foundation, that means that boxing carries on long after we have gone. Then a lot of coaches are failing. And it's down to the fact that you don't have to do an apprenticeship. You don't have to come up under anyone anymore. You know, you can, you can go from amateur to pro to being in a corner to being on TV in a year. And no one knows who you are. But you sold someone the dream of some clever pad routines, right? And the vast majority are C-level and below. The ones who are above that are concentrated in a small number of clubs because they understand that's where you go for glory. What you'd ideally do is you spread them out a bit more. But what that means overall is the kids who walk through the gym aren't taught these things. They're, they're not taught how to develop. So the clubs don't talk to each other. Like take London as a prime example. Interclub sparring is so rare. You'd think every month clubs were sparring each other, but they're not. So you get fewer bouts, interclub sparring is dead. So you're in the gym with the same people all the time. That comfort is what you crave. And a lot of these guys are, they're just comfortable. You do the haringey, you're around your mates. You know, there's so many entries now, you're going to win something. And it's that base, like, we don't have the coaches to develop that talent. And I'm sure it's true across the country where people are like, we need more coaches. But you can't manufacture experience. Like it's either there or it's not. And I wish people talked about this a lot more. This is why you're watching kids and they're not, they're not good at the stuff like the, the decision making, the knowing what to do on the inside, the knowing how to tame people, how to slow the pace down, how to quicken the pace up. All of these things that you, you just learn over years in a gym. But no one wants to do it the hard way anymore. Like, I want to shout out my friend Yilmaz Mustafa, one of the most talented kids I've seen. Could box well above his natural weight because the skill levels were high. I see him coaching and it fills me with confidence because I know, like, Yilmaz boxed from when he was a schoolboy. And so he's imbued with those values all the way up. We need more of that. We need more of those guys to come back. Your Danny Davises. Um, I always talk about the older, like Stephen O'Meara and all those guys down at Dale Youth. John O'Donnell to come back at Dale Youth. You know, a lot of those older guys, um, Courtney Fry, all of that. What, what, these guys should come back, even if it's on a part-time basis. Come back and share those stories. And I talk to the guys that I've coached. I'm like, at some point, you guys have to get back involved. Otherwise, what was the point of passing the knowledge down to you guys? That's why I love seeing um, Kofi, uh, Dennis D9, all those guys down in, I never know where they are, they're amigos, but they're, they're, they're giving back. And so when you see those guys coming back into the sport, you know you're in good hands, but we need more of that. That ability to make kids work hard, we don't have that anymore. You know, a lot of kids come in because they just want to tell their mates they box, never had a street fight outside, so they don't know how, none, it's all alien to them. And we've got to fix that. 
So you've got this pyramid, and at the bottom of the pyramid is the lack of coaching. The level up is the clubs don't work together the way they should. And that means that there's a lack of sparring. Then there's a lack of bouts on top of that. And then the guys who do get to that top, sometimes that GB door's closed to you politically. So you never really get to test yourself. The GB lot don't really do the ABAs like they used to. So it's tough. You don't get to test yourself. That, that final carrot's no longer there. And so that's the system that's killing our boxing at the moment. But our boxers are lazy. These guys have their phones in their hands all day, every day. And not once have you seen them do anything interesting. There's some guys who do. I think Isaac Chamberlain's pretty good with his. Uh, Denzel's getting better with his. I think now that Dan's got the, the machine behind him, Dan Aziz's, you know what I mean? He, he's showing a lot more of his character. Um, I think you saw the presser with Josh the other day and you started to see a bit more of that fire in Dan. And I want to see more of that because the sport hasn't been kind enough to him yet. But I look at the rest of them and what is it? Here I am running. Great. Here I am lifting weights. Great. Where's all the cool stuff? I like seeing these guys on holiday. Oh, look, me and my girlfriend are in, I don't know, Santorini. Cool. What's happening? What are you doing? Or we're in Rome. We've gone to the Colosseum. What are you doing? Be interesting. How are you going to expect me to spend 60 to 100 quid on a ticket and you're not putting anything out there that I'm not getting behind anything? Because, oh, people will tell you, yeah, you should buy a ticket because I'm a boxer. Who cares, man? Like, you're a boxer, he's a boxer, she's a boxer, they're a boxer. Everyone's a boxer. Pro, amateur, white collar, um, YouTube, misfits, whatever. Why am I spending my money on you? And none of these guys have a reason. A, because they're lazy. B, a lot of these guys are also managed by guys who don't get how this game works anymore. A lot of them are managed by dinosaurs who just want to get their... 20% of the purse. They don't care. So that's why as a fan, you have every right to say the sport's not giving you what you need. You have every right to say that and you should hold them accountable. Because we've been decaying for a long time and like I said right at the beginning of the show, that's why we need guys like Joshua Fury, Dillian and so forth. They understand that it's about being yourself. The fans will connect with that. It's almost impossible to alienate fans if you're interesting and you're yourself. I'm just conscious I've just waffled on about that, but we are, we are in dire, dire straits. Um, I think we're three years off boxing going fully niche and just being a sport that a small number of people are interested in, apart from huge fights, people won't care, and the Olympics maybe, but we're not even in the Olympics in 2028, which is a whole other podcast. But on that note, I am going to tap out because I'm absolutely cooking, you know what I mean? You know, you've got to close your windows to keep the, the sound sensible. So I'm absolutely cooking. I can see my thermometers, 27.2 degrees in here. So that's why I'm tapping out now. So I'll say to you guys, take care. And as always, if you like the content, interact, share the usual. Let's keep growing the movement. Thank you.